This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah, the old city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Temple Mount. Today we're discussing the the oh the subject of inner and outer games. So so what happens in life is we generally have an an inner and an outer game. Can you do the Akhmadenajad with this pen for a second? So we have an, an inner game, and then we have something called an, oops, have an outer game. There's an inner game of life, thank you, and an outer game of life. And um, let's define these two games. Uh, the inner game of life is your your inner world, just your own inner world that you're you're at peace with yourself. You're in tune with yourself. You're, you got, um, you recognize your greatness, your goodness, your beauty. Your, you know, you're just terrific. Like you're just an amazing person, and you're, you're God's gift to this planet. And if we could hook two jumper cables up to your earlobes, we could power all of Jerusalem with the incredible gift that you are in this planet. Right? That's part of your inner game. Um, but that's just your inner game regarding you. There's also your inner game regarding your intimate relationships. For example, uh, those who are married, that'd be their marriage. With children, that'd be your children. It'd be a relationship with your parents, your siblings. Like That's all part, part of that, part of your inner game, because these are your key relationships in your life. Now, the outer game of life, is uh, your contribution to the world. It's, it's the, the difference you make in the world. You have to leave the threshold of your door. I mean, today with cyberspace, I guess you could stay home and contribute. You could. But, the, but the, the outer game of life is the difference you made, meaning the fact that you shared... <laughs> the fact that you shared the airspace of this planet. Like, you're taking up room... You're taking up resources. You're taking up air in this room. You know, you you take up a certain amount of space. It's so the two people are, and the phones are making noise are men. Men don't even have f- f- sounds on their phones because we don't use purses. Everything's buzzes. There's different buzzes for everything we need. And so far, it's been only two men's phones ringing. You didn't know we don't. Men don't have their sound on ever, ever. You get if you get if someone's trying to reach you, you're the only one who knows it. Women, they're stuck because clothing companies do not make pockets for women's clothing. Now, either the reason is is because uh, it's to be more form fitting, so you know, and there's no bulging areas besides your belly, and the. Um, and then the, and the other is perhaps maybe it's a conspiracy and the, the handbag companies are paying the dress companies not to include pockets. So they have no choice but to have ringers or they never know they're getting a phone call. But that's why they put ringers on phones are for females and males have buzz. So it's a very private thing that someone's contacting them. Yeah, it's very private. No one, no one knows that you're getting contacted. So, the, um, the outer game of life is that when they buried you, everyone should live, I bless you all to live 
120 years in good health. Yeah. It's got to be in good health because I don't want you like 110 saying that damn rabbi. You know, you're like, <laughs> you know, I bless you 120 years in good health. That, um, but when they bury you, they should have something to say. And it's really scary because in life, you, there are two possibilities of what's, what they're going to say. You're either going to say about your contribution. That's either what they'll speak about, if you had one. But the crazy thing is people who don't have a contribution. So all they speak about is like, is all about their ego. Okay? All about their ego. And, uh, and when I say ego, I don't mean literally ego, but it would be like, you know, like they'll talk about the pair of jeans that you never washed or, or but you just kept wearing for like weeks at a time. And, or they'll talk about the road trip you once took or, you know, and flip the, flip the rental car. And, and there you were upside down for like four hours until that you were finally discovered in, you know, the side of the road, you know. And, you know, all these kind of cool stories that just kind of became the adventure of your life. You know, the, which are, you know, those are cute funerals. I enjoy those funerals, actually, because I like hearing the stories of someone's life. But the reason why I'm bringing it up is, um, is because when someone has a contribution, go to the funeral of someone who had a contribution, like they actually did something with their lives that made a difference, that they shared the airspace of the planet. So when someone had that contribution, if you go to their funeral, you can sit there for an hour, two hours, Every, it could be 10 speeches. Every single speech is about the contribution. No one cares about the blue jeans. No one cares about the upside-down funny story that happened to him on this road trip across America in the rental car. The, <coughs> the only interest is, really, the only focus is the contribution. And, and that's an amazing thing. And it should be scary for all of us. I mean, you should be scared that someone's going to bring up something at your funeral other than <coughs> what you contributed by sharing the airspace of the planet. But human beings cannot help but eulogize based on either contribution or ego of the person. When I say ego, I mean like, the st- you know, just personal stories and caveats and, you know, the, all those cute eulogies you get to hear at funerals of people who didn't contribute much. So, so this outer game is like super important. You have to have a powerful outer game. But here's where the issue comes up. And the reason why I set it up as a Venn diagram is you can easily have a powerful outer game and totally ignore what? Your inner game. And there are people who have a total inner game and, and think that they're, they're somehow fulfilling the outer game. I'll give you an example of each. Uh, an inner game where they think they have a good outer game is, uh, is <laughs> I, I, once in a while I get to meet someone, more than once in a while, who's been learning in Kolel for the last 50 years. They've been learning in Kolo for 50 years. And now most people, if you meet them, that have been part of a Kolo for 50 years, I mean, the truth is they're not really part of the Kolo so much because they're teaching and teaching and teaching all the Torah they've learned all these years. But once in a blue moon, I get to meet a guy who's never taught a single class all his life. He literally just sits in Kolo and learns. And then he goes home to his family and then goes back to the Kolo. And then goes back to his family. And, then, and he does this his whole life. And then eventually they bury him. Now, what exactly they'll say is that he studied. And that 
as far as his, as far as what he was here to do or whatever, who knows? But maybe you know, there's no way for us to judge. We have no idea. But how different is that than a story about a guy flipping his car? This guy sat and studied his whole life. He sat and studied. You hear the question? Meaning, it's obviously it's a big lahav deal. A guy who took a road trip, and that's what they spoke about compared to a guy who spent his whole time studying the prophecies. Because don't forget, Torah study is just studying the prophecies. That's all we're doing. If you're studying halacha, you're in the fine details of the prophecies. If you're studying like the Chumash, you're studying the actual prophecies. If you're studying Kabbalah, you're studying the secret of the prophecies. You understand? But all we're doing as Jews is prophecies. These are, I'm wearing sitzes, so I'm wearing the prophecies. I kept, am I wearing sitzes? <laughs> I can always tell how quickly I ran out of the bathroom. <laughs> if I bothered to pull my senses out. The, um, <laughs> um, I'm wearing the prophecies when I'm keeping Shabbat. I am aligning with the, a prophetic book from Sinai said to keep Shabbat. So I'm now aligned with the prophetic tradition. Meaning your whole lives, ladies and gentlemen, who are observant in this room, your whole life's prophecy. Whole life's prophecy. Yeah, I know the the community's turned it into religion and now you're like, what the hell do I need this for? I know you get that way sometimes. But, but can we just like go back to basics here? You're part of a prophetic tribe. A tribe, every tribe has traditions. Our traditions are prophetic. No other tribe has that. Tribes have amazing traditions. I've studied a lot of tribes. I'm really very into studying tribes and I've... And it's crazy how much we have in common with those tribes. But all those tribal communities living in the jungles of the world don't have prophecy. Not even a little prophecy. Not even like one prophecy. And, they, and the, it's amazing how honest they are because none of them claim any prophecies. Like I've spoken to lots of tribal people and even tribal leaders and asked them about, did you have a prophet along the way here? And they're like, no. We're, we built everything ground up, you know, we just worked through the, this metaphysical world until we got the understandings that the tribe's been carrying now for thousands of years from our elders. No prophecy. No one has traditions of prophecy. We're the only nation in the whole world has tradition of prophecy. And by the way, when it comes to Christian and Islam, when they talk about uh, J.C. and, and uh, Muhammad, is that what his name is? Is that when they they use the Westerners use the word prophecy very loosely? Prophecy to them just means leader or someone. You know, it means this: the person who progenerated a movement becomes called the prophet. But by the time J.C. was killed in year whatever common era, there had not been a prophet on the face of the earth for five hundred years, and he certainly not was not one of them. Okay, they, they, if he was a prophet, believe me, they would not have killed him. They, uh, they, there was not a prophet. The prophecy period ended. At, when the second temple was built, there were three prophets left. And then those prophets passed away and prophecy was over. And it was a very strong demarcation that date because it was when the rabbis prayed that the desire for idolatry should go away. And the second they succeeded in getting away the desire for idolatry, Prophecy disappeared, and then it was over. 
but I'm just saying for all of us, realize that everything you do Jewishly has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with, you're from one of the tribes, multiple thousands of years tribes, that actually is is coming off of up down, not down up, building up the metaphysical worlds, but up down. It's a top down prophetic thing that you're doing. And that, that's super special, super holy and super. It has nothing to do with your parents' desires for you to be observant. Because your parents themselves probably don't live Judaism as if it's a prophecy. You understand? They're not living as if it's prophetic. They're living a, some kind of religious experience. And the best way to know is how drunk your father gets on porn. The, the, the acid test of whether your father is part of the prophetic line or whether your father is part of the religious religion world which is like totally random but if he's part of the religion world it's just how drunk he gets on Purim if your father gets completely out of his head on Purim until he's just become the funniest guy at the party until he's finally under the table with his head in a bucket the if your father is the drunkest guy at the Purim party that means that he understands that everything we're... Meaning, let me put it like this. The fact that he's able to laugh at himself and laugh at, at just everything, just to be able to laugh at everything for one day, to take nothing seriously and just be completely out of his mind, shows you that the rest of the year, <coughs> he's choosing something because it's a connection to... The prophetic line. But if even on Purim, he's trying to hold on to the, you know, the, the he's still postured about Judaism and you know, like normalcy and you got to be normal and you got to be, you know, you got to stay in control and all that stuff. If he's still playing that game on the one day a year you're not supposed to, that means that the whole year's a bluff. The whole year's a bluff. The whole year's just religion. You know, so so good thing he was born Jewish because had he been born Christian, he'd be doing that. You know, this is not about choice. This is about just religion and, and brainwash. And that's how you know. Did, how, did anyone notice how crazy Jerusalem got? Yes. Anyone notice how crazy Jerusalem got? Did you notice that? Did you notice it stayed crazy into Shabbos? Yeah? You notice that, like, Shabbos didn't seem to make a difference in how crazy things were? Like a lot of people thought, a lot of people thought maybe Shabbos things are going to start getting a little more normal, and it didn't get more normal. I mean, we really took Purim out. I think somewhere at around midnight, Motzi Shabbos, in my house was about when Purim went out. And uh, anyway, which is kind of interesting because the three-day Purim is really supposed to be. On uh, when it lands on Saturdays, which is coming up now. Now we're going into a whole cycle of Purim's hitting Saturdays, which means you spread all the uh, through Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's three day Purim. It's called Purim Shulash, and we're going into a whole phase of that for the next decade. And the uh, it's really if you thought that was crazy, <laughs> wait till you see what Purim Shulash is like. It's really off the Richter. I mean, you barely have strength on Sunday to keep going. What? Yeah, I mean, there will be Wednesdays and Purim Shulash. Wednesdays and Purim Shulash. And just like we had two years in a row now of Fridays, which is insane, because it goes into Java, so there's no going back to normal. 
The, uh, we're going to have two Permashulashes in a row also, but that won't be for another six years to have two in a row, or seven years. Um, anyway, why am I talking about all this? Is that, is if you're willing to laugh at yourself, that means that you're real about the serious stuff and not just a, that guy. Yeah, you had a question back there? You had a question? Yo. Sorry to bring you back to the world here. <laughs> he was staring at his device. Just ask it loud because the door is open now. Oh, that's all right. No one can remember much after Purim. People don't just drink wine. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Now, that was the example of the inner game guy. That was the example of the inner game person who has no outer game. And and the eulogy was, would just be about his learning. Right? Then there and by the way, Kabbalistically, learning full time has a huge impact in the outer world. Huge. So it's not it wasn't a great example because it does have a huge huge impact. The but no one knows what that is, and certainly at a eulogy, no one no one's gonna have have the chutzpah to think they're going to be able to say what what got fixed in the world because he was sitting and learning. No, one, no one's on that Kabbalistic level. Yeah. It seems a bit questionable to me that we're kind of judging people's lives based on what other people are going to say at their funerals. I was, on, I was only using this. I wasn't doing that at all. Okay. Um, but it was a good question. Um, all I was doing was saying that this is a bit of an acid test. When you die, it's a bit of an acid test what your life was about. That's all. Just an acid test. And the only reason I'm saying that is being uh, the age of your parents, I mean, I'm like twice your age, is that I've been to tons of funerals. And we have lots and lots of funerals around here. And uh, just because, the, the for various reasons, we go to a lot more funerals than you might, depending where you live. And uh, that's just having been to tons of funerals and just, like, literally distinguishing. It's always about contribution or it's stories. It's the acid test. It's so, I, and I'm also, I was trying to scare you a bit. What's your name? Uh, Uri, I was trying to scare you a bit to put on your running shoes. You know, don't waste any time. Start creating what they're going to say. Start creating now what they're going to say later. Stop stop doing stupid stuff and start doing what's going to make a difference. But it shouldn't be coming from a place of, like, I think, from a place of what other people are going to say. It should be. It's not about other people. You're misunderstanding that. Forget other people. I'll tell you what lit the fire underneath me. You know what got me to burn with fire was I went to a funeral of someone who really contributed a lot and I heard them going on and on and on and on about him and I thought to myself I was just in a crowd of people I was a young guy I was probably your age I was in that crowd and, and how old are you? Uh, 19 okay I was a little older I was 23 but I was sitting in the crowd listening to thing after thing after thing after thing of these, the contribution this person made and this person had also an intense inner game as well and I said to myself at this funeral, I said, if I died right now, and now they would have to say something about me, wherever they are, they couldn't say anything, really. And what would they say? Not much. There wouldn't be much to say. And all of a sudden, I had this embarrassment in my heart for having amounted to nothing at 23 years old, that if I died right now, there'd be nothing to say about me. You know, I, it just wouldn't have been, there wouldn't have been anything to offer, really. And 
And I lived a very full life till I was 23. I mean, for sure, I loved, I cared, I, I did it a lot. But it, it would have all been more about the story. It would have been biographical, been about my narrative had I died right then. And so at that point, I said to myself, I left the funeral and I said to myself, from now on, I'm, I'm writing my eulogy. I'm writing my eulogy for the rest of my life. That, that when I die, someone will have something to say about a difference that I made somehow on this planet. And that was a moment of truth for me in my life. Um, now, then there's the outer game people. Who, who is the best example in the world of big outer game people? Celebrities, excellent. Celebrities are like giant outer games. And how's their inner game usually? Really, really hor horrible inner games. Not all celebrities. Some of the celebrities, I can mention celebrities who are just like inside and out golden, you know, like uh, John Anderson, the singer of Yes. Uh, Pat Metheny, the, one of the great jazz guitar players. You know, I sat at his concert here in Jerusalem he, he took 10 minutes out of the concert just to thank each musician as if he'd never met them before. He'd been playing with these guys for like 20 years. He was just such a gem. This guy was such a gem. And he thanked us for more than 10 minutes, the crowd. He thanked us for more than 10 minutes. Just, just nothing but gratitude in his heart and you could just sense his balance and care. You know, whereas on the opposite side, you got like rock stars like... Uh, what was her name? Amy Whorehouse or something? What was her name? Amy Winehouse. Sorry. Sorry, it's Freudian slip. So, anyway, you know, she's just a, in a long list of people who just choked on their own vomit because, you know, at four in the morning in some motel, you know, because, they're, because they're, their inner game is so horrible. Meaning the hole in their heart is so big and rotten that the only way to fill it is the applause of an audience or the flashes of cameras if it's a supermodel or the votes if it's a politician or it's... A, you understand, the only way to fix this hole was just a giant outer game. And sometimes God puts looks and voice or brains or whatever in one human being with some horrible situation of an inner game. And they take those skills or those looks or those talents on the road with this big outer game. But the funny thing is, is that they actually sell magazines at checkout stands in supermarkets. They call them tabloids that are about these people's lives, but always about which part of their life. It's always about their destroyed relationship. Now they're, now they're getting married again, but then like two years later, now they're getting divorced and and it's, you know, it's worth, you know, it's, it's more tabloid uh, fodder. And, and so they actually make whole magazines about their inner game that people love to read for some reason. And it just means so much. Like right now, Michael Jackson's like kind of big time in the news now about his inner life and his horrible inner game. And, and uh, meanwhile, he's called the king because it's big outer game, but the horrible inner game. And then there was like... Who was the other king? There was another musician who was called the king. Elvis Presley. Yeah, no, king, prince was always a prince. Elvis Presley, but I think the guy was like a hardcore alcoholic, and I don't know what else was going on with Elvis Presley, but I remember it was like, there were exposés later about his inner game. Okay, so those are examples of people with strong inner game with a, 
lousy outer game, and then the examples of people with strong outer game and lousy inner game. But but when you're that person, where are you? When you're when you are that person, where are you? You're right here. You think they're one and the same. And so there's certain acid tests. One acid test is when you die. But there's another acid test that's over here. And that's the acid test of your your family. The other acid test is your family. How's your spouse doing? How's your, how are your children doing? You'll notice that a lot of people in history who were very big people... Both, both outer game and inner game sometimes, but sometimes more bigger outer game. But there's a lot of families that you might have heard of where the, you knew of someone who's, that where the kids were kind of hemorrhaging, meaning there, there were a lot of issues going on with the kids. And, uh, or you'll be surprised to find out some couple got divorced, where you would have thought, like, this is the last place there would have been a divorce. You understand? Because this person's like super special and, and has made such a difference for so many people and now is wound up divorced. You understand? So how is it possible someone that special wound up divorced? The answer is... Yeah, they don't have a good inner game. And so this is like a major reckoning for all of us. You get that? Like, like here you are, young people, like some of you guys, for example, men generally like to make a big splash out there. Women also do, but men really want to make that, that mark. You know, men are the... Female dogs are not, you know, urinating on, on lampposts, okay? It's the males that are trying to mark off territory for themselves. And so, outer game is extremely important for us as, as men. And amazingly, there's a thermometer so to speak, a meter of how well our inner game's doing, and it's called our marriages and our children. If our marriages, how's our marriage going? And we have interesting tour examples of this that are really interesting. Like, for example, Moses separates from Zipporah for, you know, quite a period of time to go lead the Jews. And only is reunited with her later. And then, in the end, uh, separates from her. Did you know they were separated afterwards? Moses hit whatever level he hit spiritually, and it just was no longer... You know, they they were not still cohabitating. I I don't mean just physically, meaning habitation. like, Like, they were not together anymore. I mean, they were still married. He didn't give her a get. But... But that's kind of an interesting example. I don't know what the Torah is trying to tell us about that. But I bet that's, that'd be an interesting inquiry for us. And do you ever think about that? That Moses didn't really end his life married? It's a little weird for like the rabbi. We call him Moshe Rabbeinu. You know, rabbis are married. I mean, can you imagine? How far would my career have gotten if I had stayed single all these years? And would you be coming to my class if I were this single guy? This charismatic single rabbi? You wouldn't be here right now, and Ishtar wouldn't hire me if I were single. I wouldn't have been hired by Ishtar had I been single. No one's going to a single rabbi. And meanwhile, Moshe Rabbeinu was single, ultimately, 
at the end of his life. He was also, most of the Torah, the Sipporah doesn't seem to be involved at all. Certainly the times of the Egypt and the plagues and the leaving of Egypt and all those key moments. She was taking care of the kids in Midian. And so this is the, the, I'm just saying that, I'm just giving you this like crazy thing to think about. I'm not answering any questions right now, especially because it's time for us to finish. And I do need to finish, but I'm just putting it out there especially for us men, is to know that our families are the thermometer of our marriage. Our families are the thermometer of how real our inner game is. Family's doing great. Your inner game's real. Your outer game means something. Tell me, does your outer game mean anything if your inner game's no good? It's a tough call. I mean, what if, what if your outer game, what if you're just, what if you're, you're like busy saving the world, you save tons and tons and tons of people, and then you get upstairs and God's like, yeah, but you forgot your family. What do you think? Do you still get reward for all the work you did? <clears throat> or did you blow it? Did you, did you get reward for everything you did or did you blow it? I would bet all the men in the room would say, you at least get reward for what you did. The women would all say you blew it. <laughs> whatever today I don't have a lot of answers for today today was just more to get everyone's thinking and on this subject this subject of the inner and the outer game and the, the bluff of the outer game the fear of the outer game when we've got a big inner game we're afraid to make a difference the reality of the fact that in the end it's going to be known whether we were about ourselves or whether we made a contribution the fact is you can make this big contribution and totally blow it. If, and the way you know it is how your wife's doing or your husband's doing or how your kids are doing. They're, they're the sign for how you're doing. So I'm not, I don't have answers for anybody, but I do have a way to gauge life and how you're living your life. And so this is, this is kind of the gauge that you see on the board here. Um, I think I must take your question outside unless you want to ask it quick and maybe I'll answer it outside. It wasn't a question, it was a Point. contribution. Yeah. Um, I thought maybe if someone contributed so much but forgot their family, they would get the reward just instead of it being cold, it would be silver. <laughs> That's cute. Shalom, everybody. It was a pleasure and uh, please join my club. It's Yom Tov Media Club. <coughs> yomtobmediaclub.com and uh, all it's doing is helping us pay for staff to make sure this message hits more and more people. Shalom, shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com